0: Good morning. If you would uh, open up your scriptures to Luke chapter 22, verse starting in verse 54. Luke chapter twenty-two, 54. I remember reading from the ESV this morning. If you would follow along with me. Starting in verse 54. Then they seized him and led him away, bringing him... Into the high priest's house, and Peter followed at a distance. And when they had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter sat down among them. Then a servant girl, seeing him as he sat in the light and looking closely at him, said, This man also was with him. But he denied it, saying, Woman, I do not know him. And a little later, someone else uh, saw him and said, You also are one of them. But Peter said, Man, I am not. And after an interval of about an hour, still another insisted, saying, Certainly this man also was with him, for he too is a Galilean. But Peter said, Man, I do not know what you are talking about. And immediately, while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed, and the Lord turned and looked at Peter, and Peter remembered the saying of the Lord, how he had said to him, "Before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times." And he went away and wept bitterly. Peter. Normally, I just have to say that name in a sermon to get laughter. <laughs> I don't know how many times he's been used uh, from the pulpit as a as a joke, right? The disciple with a, a foot-shaped mouth, Peter. See? First service, I don't get any laughter. It's the second service, I get laughter. This is what a, a pastor said about Peter, Kit Hughes. Talks about him saying, No disciple spoke as often as Peter, and out of necessity, our Lord addressed him more than any other of his followers. No disciple was reproved by uh, Jesus as much or as strongly as Peter. Peter was always talking, and his verbiage ranged from the ridiculous to the sublime. Christ spoke words of approval and blessing to Peter, the likes of which he never spoke to any other man. But at the same time, and almost at the same breath, Jesus had stronger rebukes for Peter than any other of his twelve disciples, including Judas. Our passage today in Luke is actually somewhat of an interesting one. Luke does something interesting um, in his gospel, the night of Jesus' arrest. He focuses completely on on Peter's denials. When you look at the other synoptic gospels, the denials of Peter are kind of interwove uh, with the trial, that legal trial that was going on with Jesus. But in Luke, Luke focuses on Peter not on this lawful, unlawful trial. And because of this, this morning I was hoping to uh, focus on Peter and take some time and maybe um, just have a, a sermon kind of dedicated to Peter and, and, and who Peter was and really two aspects of Peter's life. Peter's fall, which is what we read this morning, and then Peter's redemption. Right? So that's the two points of the sermon this morning is Peter's fall, and Peter's redemption. So let's start with Peter's fall. Peter's walk with Jesus was uh, full of ups and downs. Right, These moments this man had of incredible faith. And then moments of complete failure. Right? And although we give Peter a hard time. I really think it's his failures. That, that's, that's why we love Peter. Or at least that's why I like reading about Peter. He he's normal, right? He's relatable. Let me ask a few questions, and I encourage you this time to, to raise your hand as I ask these questions. Has anyone here ever put their foot in their mouth before? <laughs> There's times that I've said this before, that, that the words have come out of my mouth, and I want to grab them before I bring them back. That's Peter. Has anyone experienced super spiritual highs followed quickly by, by mistakes or spiritual lows? That, that's Peter. Has anyone here failed to proclaim the name of Christ when you felt like you should have? Or let me put it this way. You felt like, like God was putting on your heart to share the gospel, but you didn't because you were afraid or you didn't want to have that awkward conversation? That's Peter, afraid of a servant girl. I love Peter because he's relatable, right? I can relate to him. His walk was just full of ups and downs in the gospel. I mean, think about this. When Peter saw Jesus walking on water, what did he do? He jumped out and walked on water. Jesus wasn't the only one that walked on water in the Gospels. Peter jumped out and started walking towards him. Amazing faith, followed very quickly by him seeing the wind, which is funny within itself, right? He didn't feel the wind. He didn't hear the wind. He saw the wind. He started to doubt, and in that doubt, he, he sank, literally up and down. Right? Or another example, we talked a lot about Mark 8, in verse 27, where Jesus asked the disciples, who do people say that I am? And at that point, no one dared to say that Jesus was the Christ. It was too bold of a, a proclamation, too bold of a confession, and he asked them, the disciples, he, he said, but who do you say that I am? And Peter, the first one to speak up, says, you are the Christ. Right? Bold, faithful proclamation of who Jesus was. Right? Bold profession. In that same passage, though, in, in verse 32, Peter took Jesus aside and began to rebuke him, which is which is ironic and funny within itself. But turning and seeing his disciples, he rebuked peter and said get behind me satan Right this amazing confession of faith that you are the christ Within the same conversation one of the strongest rebukes we see in all of scripture get behind me satan right? I mean massive ups and downs and and to be honest this comforts me And I hope it brings some comfort to you guys, too When I when I read peter, I realize i'm not the only one that has these ups and downs in my walk with the Lord. I'm not the only one that puts my foot in my mouth sometimes, right? I'm not the only one that is growing in my walk. One pastor wrote this about Peter. It was faith that made Peter go walk upon the water, but it was flesh that made him sink. Faith made him zealous in Christ's cause, but flesh drew the sword at the servant's ear. Faith made him accompany Christ in the garden, but flesh made him sleep. Faith made him promise perseverance, but flesh made him fail in that promise. In a word, faith made him resolute to confess, but flesh to contradict his master. Peter had some amazing faithful moments, but it was flesh and pride that caused him to fall. And that's what caused him to fall the night of Jesus' arrest— Look with me at Luke 22, starting in verse 54. When they seized him, this is Jesus, when they arrest him, when they seized him and led him away, bringing him into the high priest's house, and Peter was following at a distance. Right? John 18 actually gives us some more insight. John 18, 15, it was Peter and another disciple. Probably um, uh, most people believe it was John. But verse 55 says this, and when they had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter sat down among them. Again, John 18 gives us some more information. It says this in John 18, 18. Now the servants and officers. So it wasn't just the slaves or the servants of the high priests. It was the, the temple guards that were around Peter too, around the fire. It says, now the servants and officers made a, char- a charcoal fire because it was cold. Then they were standing and warming themselves. Peter also was with them, standing and warming himself. So you can picture Peter and John hanging out around this fire, trying to go unnoticed. Verse 56. Then a servant girl, seeing him as he sat in the light and looking closely at him, said, This man also was with him. Remember, this is a a servant of the high priest, a slave of the high priest, this girl. In other words, she probably has seen Jesus and the disciples this whole entire week as Jesus every day went to the temple to teach with his disciples. Day after day this week, and she recognized Peter. Saying, hey, he was with Jesus. My guess, and it doesn't say this, but I'm guessing, Peter probably recognized her too. And, and was probably getting anxious because he was thinking, yeah, she does know who I am. And so in verse 57, but he denied it, saying, woman, I do not know him. The other gospels add, uh, John eighteen seventeen says, I am not. A- a- Matthew 26, it says, I do not know what you are talking about. In Mark 14, it says, I neither know or understand what you are talking about. Peter completely denies knowing Jesus in this moment. Look at verse 58. And a little later, someone else saw him and said, You are one of them. But Peter says, I am not. Man, I am not. Right? That's the second denial. Verse 59 says, And after an interval of about an hour, and and just so you know, the other Gospels kind of give this, uh, it probably was over a few hours that this whole three denials um, happened. But after an interval of about an hour, still another insisted, saying, Certainly this man also was with him. He too is a Galilean. Right? That last phrase, he too is a Galilean. He probably recognized Peter's accent. From my understanding, the, the accent of a Galilean would have been much different and recognizable. And so, again, Peter's mouth probably got him into a lot of trouble. You know Peter probably was talking the whole entire time as he was nervous. Ironically, in John eighteen twenty six, it says that, that the man that, that uh, this was, this last one, was an, a servant of the high priest, was another slave of the high priest. And he actually was a relative of the slave whose ear was cut off by Peter. I mean, aren't you the guy that, that cut off my cousin's ear? This man even asked him in John 18, 26, did I not see you in the garden with him? So he was there too. Now Peter is is probably scared. And and this means Peter might get arrested or be put there with Jesus. And so out of self-preservation, this last denial was the strongest. Verse 60 says, but Peter said, man, I do not know what you are talking about. Matthew 26, it adds that, that Peter began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know the man. Do not know the man. And immediately, look at verse 60, and immediately while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed, and the Lord turned and looked at Peter. Two things happened immediately, right? The rooster crowed. That's right after the third denial, just as Jesus predicted. But also the Lord turned and looked at Peter. And that just gives me chills. I mean, you picture this dark, you know, place that, that this fire is, they're keeping warm out. No one can really see each other very well, and what's going on. And as soon as Peter denies him the third time, I'm sure way out of earshot of Jesus, or maybe in earshot, I don't know, but he turns around and looks straight at him. And Peter remembered, verse 60, And Peter remembered the saying of the Lord, how he um, had said to him before the rooster crows today, You will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. What happened to Peter? I've asked this question before. How how did he go from chopping off a a person's ear, attacking a a massive group of, of Roman soldiers... To denying Jesus three times. Well, I read a commentator, and and I think he just put this well, so let me read this. One commentator said this It had finally sunk in for him when Peter was watching Jesus be accused after Jesus had been arrested. Peter finally figured it out. Jesus was really going to die, he was really, or he really wasn't going to fight back. He really was going to be crucified, just as he said. He had really meant all that stuff about being arrested and killed. There'd be no revolution. There'd be no earthly glory. There'd be no great victory. And don't mistake, Peter truly loved Jesus. But you get a sense that around the fire, when Jesus was being accused, he was just profoundly disappointed. He wanted something more. This wasn't what he had had signed up for. So he saved his own skin by abandoning Jesus. Honestly, and I've, I've said this throughout the last couple of weeks, I don't think Peter was that much different than Judas. Both had unmet expectations about Jesus, right? They thought Jesus was going to be this geopolitical, earthly king. Both thought he was going to be this warrior messiah that was going to overthrow the Romans, They both thought Jesus was going to make them rich, powerful, popular, right? They both turned on Jesus when times got hard. To be honest, like I've said before, I think Judas just figured it out first. Both were in love with this world and what this world had to offer. Comfort, money, family, friends, life, popularity. And both were full of sorrow after betraying Jesus. There is a difference, and there is a major difference between the two. Peter repented, and Judas didn't. Peter's sorrow came from a deep, profound love for Jesus. Judas' sorrow was a worldly sorrow. 2 Corinthians 7.10 says this, For godly grief or godly sorrow... Produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret. That's Peter. Whereas worldly grief or worldly sorrow produces death. That's Judas. Peter had a godly sorrow that led him to repentance. Judas had a worldly sorrow that literally led him to death, hanging himself on a tree. That was the fall of Peter. And as I was getting prepared um, this week and going through the fall of Peter, I really wanted to, to focus this morning and, and kind of not jump out of Luke, but, but talk about the redemption of Peter. Right? And we like to talk about Peter's mistakes and laugh at his expense. And don't get me wrong, Peter was a sinner, but Peter was a sinner saved by grace. Turn with me to John 21. Verse 15. As you guys are turning there, let me give you some context of what's going on in this passage. Jesus, this is well past uh, the arrest of Jesus, Jesus' death even, and his resurrection. Right, Peter, this is, everything is kind of moved on in life, and Peter and a few of his other disciples decided, hey, you know what, let's go fishing. Let's go back to fishing, which I think is ironic. These men were like, hey, let's just go back to what things were before we even met Jesus. And as they were fishing, they're in the boat, Jesus appears on the shore with breakfast. And just like Peter, of course, he jumps out of the boat and swims to Jesus as the other disciples go, hey, we probably should bring the boat in. And they all start eating with Jesus. Look at John 21, verse 15. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? The antecedent to these, or, or what these is pointing to, is, is unclear. Uh, I think most commentaries and most people I read believe that these was probably talking about the. Um, Other disciples, do you love me more than these other disciples love me? I don't know if that's the case. It could have been the fish and the fishing gear. Do you love me more than these? In other words, do you love me more more than this life you have left? Do you love me more than what this world has to offer, Peter? I I don't know what these points to, but verse 15 says, He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he being Jesus said, Feed my lambs. What's happening here is is actually a recommissioning of of Peter. Jesus tells Peter to, to shepherd my people, to lead, to take care of, to teach, to love my people. Verse 16, he said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Tend my sheep. All right, Take care of my people. Verse 17. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him a third time, Do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. What was Jesus doing here? Jesus was showing Peter that God forgave him. He asked Peter, Jesus asked Peter three times, "Do you love me?" Because G- Peter denied Jesus three times. God was showing Jesus was showing that God forgave him, and Jesus was bringing reconciliation between the relationship him and God. Showing Peter that his life was redeemed. And John 21 was a recommissioning, right? Peter's first commissioning was was in Luke 5, where Jesus tells Peter it mirrors very closely, Luke 5 and John 21 are very similar. Peter and the boat, he tells Peter, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. Right? Jesus was telling Peter in John tw- 21, you are forgiven. Your life has been redeemed. Now, Peter, let's go to work. Shepherd my people. One uh, pastor said this, how seriously did Peter take the second commissioning? Well, Peter himself gives us a clue in 1 Peter 5, 1 through 4, where, speaking towards the end of his life as a pastor to fellow pastors, he urges them to shepherd the flock of God. We actually, it's interesting, I, I think for me at least, and I'm sure for all of us, when we think of Peter, we mostly think of Peter in the Gospels, right? In doing dumb things. Um, putting his foot in his mouth, jumping out of the boat, I don't know how many times. Um, but we learn a lot about Peter in his old age from First and Second Peter. One thing we learn is that, that God didn't just redeem Peter's life in the justification sense. In other words, Peter was saved by grace— He was justified. Jesus died on the cross for his sins, and and as soon as he was saved, his sins were paid for, and he he was righteous in the sight of God and going to spend eternity with God. But God just didn't redeem life, uh, Peter's life, in the justification sense. He also redeemed Peter's life in the sanctification sense. In other words, Jesus started after salvation to redeem Peter's character. And who he was. Listen, after salvation, God wants to grow us to be more like his son. And first and second Peter really is is a lot of what Peter learned following Jesus. So I want to look this morning at four ways Peter grew after salvation. Four ways that Peter grew after salvation. I think we can get a lot of personal application from this, and I think we can see how these passages in 1st 2nd Peter point back to that night of Jesus being arrested and Jesus, or Peter's denial of Jesus. These are four ways that Peter's character was being redeemed by Christ. Four things that Peter learned. The first one's this. Peter learned Self-control. Peter in the Gospels, if you picture Peter and you have this kind of character of Peter, he wasn't someone that you would uh, think that had a lot of self-control, right? I mean, just think about his mouth over and over again, just blurting out things without thinking beforehand. Or Jesus' arrest, right? This whole army in front of him, and he starts attacking. <laughs> right? No self-control. Even Jesus saw this as foolish. He rebukes Peter in Matthew 26 by saying, Put your sword back into its place. For all who take the sword will perish by the sword. In other words, Peter, your lack of self-control is going to get you killed. Then he says in verse 53, Do you you think that I cannot appeal to my Father and He will at once send more than twelve legions of angels? Like, Peter, if I wanted to fight, this would be over. Don't you get that? You saw me just speak, and everyone fell to the ground. I have the power to wipe all these people out. Peter had no self-control in the Gospels, but he learned self-control from Jesus' example. You don't have to turn there, but this is what um, he writes in 1 Peter two twenty-one. This is Peter writing again. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example— so that you might follow in his steps. In other words, follow Jesus' example. I think, this is a guess, but when Peter was writing this portion of Scripture right here, especially this next paragraph, he was remembering what happened in the garden. He says this, verse 22, he committed no sin, this is Jesus, he committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. Remember what Jesus told Peter. Hey, if I wanted to, I could wipe out this mob. But I'm trusting my father. I'm trusting my father. How many of you guys have seen, I was just thinking about this, because it reminded me of um, a sermon I heard by John Piper where he mentions this. But, I mean, you guys have seen The End of the Spear, that movie, The Missionaries, a few of you guys. It's a good movie. I, I, would, I would recommend it. Um, a Christian movie is about missionaries uh, who were speared to death in Ecuador. It's a heavy movie. Um, by a tribe that they were trying to reach. It happened in 1956. It's a true story. These, these missionaries flew in and got speared to death, and they were actually hacked to pieces by this tribe that was a very dangerous tribe, obviously. Here's the crazy thing about it one of the martyrs was Jim Elliott. I had to look this up. I heard John Piper mention it, and so I looked it up just to make sure it was true. I even looked up the YouTube clip to see if the movie portrayed it or not, and I just didn't remember it in the movie when I watched it the first time. These missionaries had guns. They easily could have killed these tribal men as they came to him with spears. But instead of shooting them, they started unloading the guns in the air, hoping to scare them away, which didn't work. But these men, just like Jesus, that night in the garden, had the power to wipe these these other guys out. But instead, entrusted their lives to him who judges justly. They didn't attack. I mean, I think Peter learned that that night in the gospel, or learned that that night that Jesus was arrested. So here's my question for you, and it's a question for me too. As I preach, I preach to myself. Do you have a false sense of justice? Do you feel like it's your duty to to make sure sins are paid for? Let me put it this way. If someone wrongs you, is your first instinct to gossip, to slander, to complain, to threaten, or maybe to outright confront in anger? Or here's a harder question. Do you let your heart and mind run wild when you're wronged? Where is your response, trust and prayer? God, I trust you with this. You're you going to judge justly. Do you have a self controlled response that is more concerned for that person that did the wrong than anything else? Because that's the example of Jesus. And that's what Jesus taught Peter, right? Self control, Peter. Jesus also taught Peter humility. Peter, arrogant and full of himself. This is what it says in, in Matthew 26, 30. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Then Jesus said to them, you will all fall away because of me this night. For it is written, I'll strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. And then in verse 33, it says that Peter answered him, though they all fall away because of you, I will never Never fall away. Could you picture that? Like, Jesus just threw everyone under the bus. Or not, Peter just threw everyone under the bus and said, yeah, they're all going to fall away. But me, never, Jesus. Right, that's arrogant. Jesus even told him uh, after that, it says in verse 33, Jesus said to him, "'Truly I tell you, this very night before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times.'" But Peter said to him, Even if I must die with you, I will not deny you. Jesus, this is not the only time Jesus told Peter this too. He told him in in Luke 22, 31, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. Peter responded to this in verse 33 saying, Lord, I am ready to go with you both to prison and to death. In other words, Peter said, Satan, there's no way Satan's going to get me. Satan's no match for me, Jesus. And Jesus said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster will will not crow this day until you deny me three times that you know me. Do you think Peter was humbled that night? I mean, the rooster crows, and immediately Jesus looks at him. I think this is why Peter says in 1 Peter 5, 6, Humble yourselves. Humble yourselves. Then in verse 8, be sober-minded. In other words, know who you truly are. Know how weak you truly are, and therefore be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. I think he was thinking about that event when he wrote that. God taught Peter to be sober-minded. God taught him how weak he truly is. And so, again, here's my questions: Do you have a healthy skepticism of your own heart? Are you sober minded about how powerful the flesh truly is? Right, we know the, the proverb the pride comes before the fall, and it's true in Peter's life, right? This prideful man fell pretty hard. Don't put yourself in compromising situations. Right? Don't assume that your motives are pure. Humble yourself. Be sober minded. That's the third thing, or second thing that Peter learned. The third thing that Peter learned that God was teaching him was that God taught Peter to love, to love. Peter was, uh, and and this resonates with me, uh, all or nothing type of guy, right? He was a very black and white man. There was no gray areas for Peter. Let me give you an example. When Jesus was washing the disciples' feet, right, when he got to Peter, Peter said to Jesus in John 13, 8, You shall never, there's that word again, right? Everything's absolute. You shall never wash my feet. Just like I will never fall away. Peter, for him, it was either always or never. Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you'll have, or, uh, you have no share with me. So, here's the always. Peter uh, said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. In other words, wash all of me then. It was all or nothing. It was black and white for Peter. Listen, in church life, in, in relationships in general, but especially in the church, there are a lot of grays. Right? I mean, don't get me wrong. There's a lot of black and white. It's very right and wrong, very clear cut, but there is a lot of grays. And Peter had to learn this. Peter had to learn that love uses wisdom to graciously handle the gray areas. Listen, if you struggle with legalism this morning, and you know you struggle with legalism, then 1 Peter 4 8 is probably one of the hardest verses to hear in Scripture. This is what Peter says above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Peter had to learn that it wasn't his duty to confront everyone's sins. Love sometimes lets things go. Just lets it go. It takes wisdom to know when to confront and when to let go. But there is a lot of gray areas within the church, and and we have to be okay with letting some things go sometimes, especially when we get hurt. The fourth thing that God taught Peter, and I think this one stood out to me the most, was that God taught Peter that true courage comes from conviction. True courage comes from conviction. Right, Peter cutting off the, the slave's ear seemed courageous, but that was just foolishness. It was foolishness for three reasons, at least three reasons. First of all, Jesus could defend himself. He didn't need Peter to defend him. Secondly, Jesus never asked Peter to attack, it wasn't out of obedience. Jesus had never asked Peter to defend him physically. And thirdly, Peter was attacking an army. (laughs) That's foolish with a sword. True godly courage, listen, true godly courage is faith and conviction. It's obedience lived out in the threat of loss. It, it's obedience, it's, it's faith, it's conviction lived out no matter what the cost. Peter had to learn true courage. Turn back with me to John chapter 21, verse 18. And If you're there, just look at verse 18. There's something interesting about this passage Again, this is the passage, just to remind you, where, where Jesus asked Peter three times, Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Right? Restoring Peter after his three denials. Recommissioning Peter. Telling Peter, in essence, follow me. Well, look at what verse 18 says. This is interesting. John 21, verse 18. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands, and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. It's a really strange saying that Jesus tells Peter. What does, let me just ask you this, what does stretch out your hands sound like? Crucifixion. John adds a footnote to give us a clue of what Jesus was saying. Look at verse 19. He says, this is what John says, this, Jesus, this he said to show by what kind of death Peter was going to glorify God. In other words, Jesus in this recommissioning tells Peter, follow me. And just so you know, if you do, you're going to die. Look at verse 19. After saying this, he said to him, follow me. Maybe we don't give Peter enough credit. This is what John MacArthur says about the end of Peter's life. How did Peter's life end? Well, Scripture doesn't record the death of Peter, so we don't have an authoritative source of how Peter died. But all the records of the early church history indicate that Peter was crucified. One account cites the testimony of the early church father, Clement, who says that before Peter was crucified, he was forced to watch the crucifixion of his own wife. As he watched her... Being led to, to her death, Clement says that Peter called her by name, saying, remember the Lord. When it was Peter's turn to die, he pleaded to be crucified upside down because he wasn't worthy to die as the Lord had died. And thus he was nailed to the cross, head downward. Let me make this clear. Peter made a lot of mistakes, and we know him well. Right? Peter denied Jesus three times. But God redeemed that man's life. Not only did he bring saving grace to Peter, but he also brought growth and sanctification. If you're not saved this morning, I just want to be really clear. You need to put your faith in Christ, right? Jesus died on the cross for your sins. He took the wrath that we deserved on the cross, so those that put their faith in him don't have to face that wrath And it'll be clear, if you don't put your faith in him, you're facing the wrath of God, which is eternal hell. Put your faith in Christ. But if you are saved this morning, there's two things I want you to take away from this sermon. First, God is not done with you. He wants you to learn and grow. He wants you to grow in self-control, in humility, in love, and he wants you to be courageous. Trusting God no matter what the cost. But the second thing, and I hope this is encouraging, if God can use Peter, right? The disciple with a foot-shaped mouth. The disciple that failed over and over again. The disciple that denied Jesus three times. He can use you. One commentator said this, we often remember Peter's failures but he also was, was a disciple that preached at Pentecost, and 3,000 people were saved, Acts 2. He and John healed a lame man, Acts 3. He was so powerful that people were healed by his shadow, Acts 5. He raised Dorcas from the dead, Acts 9. He introduced the gospel to the Gentiles, Acts 10. And he wrote two epistles, First and Second Peter, in which he taught the very same lessons that he had learned from the Lord himself and about true character. Peter wasn't perfect, right? We all know that. But he was a sinner saved by grace. He was a life redeemed by God. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, God, I thank you for the example of Peter. Lord, I thank you that you use flawed men. Men that often make big mistakes, and to have up and downs in their walk with you, Lord. I sometimes say things that they shouldn't, Lord, that your grace covers our, our mistakes, Lord. I thank you that you bring saving grace to us, Lord, that we don't deserve We're rebell- us rebel, who rebelled against you, Lord. We deserve your wrath, and yet you came down. You sent your son to die on the cross for us, Lord, to take our place so those that put their faith in you, Lord, can have eternal life. Lord, we thank you for that, but we also thank you that you you didn't stop there, that you want to grow us more and more like your son, Lord. And then one day you will glorify us, Lord, to be with your son and to be sinless, Lord. God, help us to grow. Help us to grow in humility, Lord, while we're here on earth. Help us to grow in our love for one another, Lord, while we're here. Lord, help us to be courageous and self-controlled, Lord, at the same time. God, help us to be a church that, that models you, Lord, and that is growing, and that, that people look at us, Lord, as a community of men that, and women that love you and that are growing slowly more like you, Lord. Help us to be like Peter. In your son's name, amen.